Hello and welcome everybody to a new episode of Boutique Digital Marketing, the show that tells you everything you need to know about digital marketing and business development. I'm Rita Sekali, founder of Boutique Digital Marketing, the company, uh, and a professor of business here in Southern California. Today, our episode is a little bit different than most. I have a wonderful guest who's going to tell us all about her expertise in employee retention and optimizing your team in making sure that you create a dream team around your business so that it grows. So stay tuned. All right, welcome everybody. I'm Rita Sekali again, and my guest today is Julie Latouf. She, to me, is one of my closest friends. She's amazing. She's sweet. She's brilliant and just humble and accomplished and everything that you would, you know, imagine uh, a businesswoman would be, but even better because her soul is just such a bright spirit. Hi, Julie. Hi, Rita. Thank you so much for having me with you today. I'm so excited. I'm excited to have you. You looked so surprised at my uh, <laughs> at the introduction. Like, is she talking about me? Yeah. You, you have that face <laughs> on. You know, sometimes thinking about all your accomplishments and you're like, oh, my God, that is my life. It just takes a moment to click in and to think. <laughs> She's amazing, you guys. She's amazing. Thank you. Julie, um, so I want you to tell the world or our audience who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Julie Latouf. I I was born and raised in Massachusetts. Both my parents come from Lebanon. And I am currently a co-founder of a nonprofit called Box for Health. It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And we are trying to transform the lives of children through healthy living and hygiene promotion. And our focus is actually on low to middle income countries. And we just launched our first pilot in Lebanon, and we are going to be helping out with 5,000 children this year. Our original plan was 1,000 children, but we will be serving 5,000 children. So we are very excited about that. Aside from that, I also work at a software company where I am an executive assistant and slash, I guess, a chief of staff. So really helping with employee development and employee retention. And you have a bachelor's in my marketing? Bachelor's, yes, my bachelor's is in marketing and my MBA is in international management and entrepreneurship. And look at you using your international skills internationally. Literally. It's <laughs> right? my dream to transform lives of children all over the world. And I really feel like my educational background ties it all in together from the entrepreneurship world and the international world. I, you know what? I remember the first time you brought up the Box for Health and it had a different name at that time. And you were telling me about the idea and you were so excited about it. And she's like, I want to get this going and I want to, you know, I'm helping this way and that way. And it was just like a baby idea and to watch it grow and to watch you grow with it is just amazing. But before we talk about Box for Health, I do want to ask you, you have a bachelor's in marketing and our show is centered on digital develop, uh, marketing and business development, which is entrepreneurship. And I want to ask you for two things. One thing, the first one is what did you get out of your bachelor's in marketing that you retained 
throughout your career that you said, okay, like this one thing I learned and it was so helpful that I'm going to use it everywhere. Um, and one thing you learned from your uh, MBA program that you also retained, you're like, this is something I want to use everywhere. Sure. So because my bachelor's is in marketing, I thought I wanted to work in consumer behavior and study the scientific of why do consumers purchase what they do purchase and different consumer habits that an individual have has. So for example, every single individual out there in the world has a unique style, whether it's the clothes that they wear, the shoes they wear, the foods that they eat or the things that they drink and just the way they interact in society. And that was one of my passions. How can we really understand consumers. So something that I took away from my marketing program was consumer behavior. How do you really understand a consumer? And once you can really understand your consumer, you can have them purchase anything or, you know, retain them as customers for the future. And it's something really good because then you can tailor your product and or service to them. That's actually a very, very tough thing to do. So I, I think like when people first start opening a business, their primary or their biggest challenge, one of the biggest challenge is getting customers through the door. So what do you recommend for them to understand their behavior? What are the steps that you think they should take? Pretend as if you were your consumer. Who is your consumer? What do they wear? What do they wear? When do they sleep? What's their social life like? What is their background in? What's their education like? Every single thing that your consumer would be doing from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed. Who is that person? And really focus in on that. So how do you figure stuff like this out? Well, first, you can send out surveys. You can do email marketing. You can do cold calling. You can do some interviews. But you really need to understand your consumer. So, for example, you might want to take a sample size of a couple hundred people and interview them. Or you might send out a couple surveys to thousands of people online and start to understand your consumer. Because your consumer isn't someone that lives in the United States. It's not someone that lives in Lebanon. It could be. But really focus in on more details. Who exactly is that consumer and what do they do? When you talk about surveys online, um, I think someone who's just starting a business, they may have a, a challenge of finding the people like to take these surveys or finding a way to do that research. Is there something that you recommend or a tool that you know of that will help in that? Yeah. So when I first started off and when we first started off trying to get some consumers and to get feedback, we simply created a Google form, very mm -hmm. easy, free to use. And we would send it out to our network and we would tell our network to send it out to their network. And then we started raffling off a gift. So we would pay, let's say, $100, $200 for this gift or a gift card or something like that of small value. You might think it's somewhat small value or large value, depending on the business size. But then you're getting a lot of people to take these surveys and to give you real actual answers and to do interviews with them. So I would set up a call with someone and I would say, hey, for 10 minutes of your time, I'll give you like a $5 gift card or you can get points on something. And that's mm -hmm. the way you really start because you want to understand your consumer. If you don't understand your consumer and who's purchasing from you, you won't be able to sell them anything and your business won't be able to flourish. Were you able to use um, any of these techniques, which for people who are listening or have been following this podcast, we talk a lot about customer personas, and this is exactly what we're talking about here. Um, were you able 
for any of the business ideas that you've created. And I know apart from a box for health, I don't think we said it. You also do uh, leaders beyond cedars as well. And a few other side projects along the line uh, for any of them. Were you able to use a customer persona and how effective or ineffective was it? Most definitely. I think for any business that I've ever been involved in, we have had to understand the consumer. So for example, for Box for Health, our consumer, we have several different consumers and that's fine in a business. Our, one of our consumers is a child. So we studied these children. Who are they? Where do they come from? Who are their parents? Who are their grandparents? Where did they go to school? How did they grow up? What type of information are they lacking and how can we help them? That's one consumer that we did study. So we went to Lebanon and we focused on these children living like a day to day. How are they brushing their teeth? How are they living? And so on. Our second consumer would be our uh, sponsors. Who is funding this project? Who is going to be donating hundreds and thousands of dollars to children? And it's somebody who really cares about children or healthy living, healthy hygiene promotion. They might actually have some sort of tie with the country back home that we are serving. So, for example, our pilot country is Lebanon, but we are also working in Africa. So with our pilot country, we really targeted anyone that we knew of Lebanese descent, because if we can know our consumer and who's going to be donating money to us, that's it. Like our children are um, going to be uh, educated <laughs> with this. So that was someone else that we would work with. And that's another persona that we would have. Uh, also, whenever I am working with a business and I am selling, let's say, software to a company, I have to understand who is my consumer? What are they doing? What's their lifestyle like? Are they stressed? Are they anxious? Are they happy? Are they satisfied? Did COVID impact them? And that's how we um, sent out, we sent out like surveys to people. We also did in-person interviews. And these interviews could take anywhere from 10 to half an hour, 10 minutes to 30 minutes. And we really try to understand these individuals. So I love that uh, you're able to use uh, these personas in different places at different times. What I want to point out to people is that you had three categories of people that you looked into, and which meant that you had three different personas in terms of marketing, where you kind of segmented the marketing and tailored it to one group, which looked different than it did for another group. And I think, you know, people think, oh, well, everybody is my customer, right? What do you say to that when someone comes in and says, because you also do consulting at times. So if someone comes in and he says, oh, well, my customers, everyone, anyone could eat pizza. Anyone who likes pizza, let's say they have a pizza restaurant. Anyone who likes pizza is my customer. So I would tell these individuals that the more specific you are, the more you can charge for your services and for whatever you are selling and whatever product you are selling or service. Because the more specific you are, you have that specialty. And that's something very unique that's not in the market. And for example, if somebody is selling pizza and they're like, everybody's my consumer. No, not necessarily. Not everybody. It's somebody in that local area. It could be, you know, a certain age range. It could be a certain demographic of the type of money that they're making. It could be the values that they have because a vegan is not going to be going to a pizza shop unless the pizza shop has vegan cheese. They are not, you know, somebody who has celiac disease or who's gluten free is not going to be going to a pizza shop. So you really want to know your individuals in the market.
that's actually very true that uh, that you're saying that. And, and that's one thing I always try to tell people that you cannot have everyone be your client. You have to be, you have to be selective, even though you, you know, if that person walks into your store, you're not going to deny them service because you're not, they're not on your persona, but to, to better develop your marketing skills, I think you need to hone in on who it is that you're trying to sell to and what it is that you are trying to sell. So definitely agree with you there. Now, back to option number two. What did you learn from your doctor or from your master's degree that you thought this is something that I retain with me in everything? Sure. So I first want to tell all of our listeners that you don't necessarily need a degree to excel in the career that you want. You don't need a degree to be successful because there are millions of people out there who don't have a degree that are very successful. But something that I might sound contradictory here because I do have an MBA, but I went for my MBA not only to learn, but to network because networking is the key to success. I read a statistic and it stated that 85% of opportunities are gained through some sort of network. Whether now you are job searching and you're looking for a job, whether you're trying to network with another individual, 85% of opportunities are gained through some sort of network. For example, Larissa, I wouldn't be on this radio show if it wasn't for you. This is networking. So something that I take from my MBA program and I apply it to everything is networking. Know who your people are, know who you're talking to, and stay connected with them. Aside from that, I I had the opportunity to travel to India and to China. And that's where I really fell in love with the health inequity that we have in this world. And I, and to me, you know, coming from my parents came from Lebanon and then coming from the United States, we sometimes take things for granted, the way children eat, the way that they live. And it has nothing to do with them or their families. It wasn't their choice to be born into the family that they were born into or to be raised at the family that they were raised with. But it is our duty as a society to help people and to educate individuals and to transform these lives, to give them a better future and to be more optimistic for them uh, for the years and generations to come. So something I learned in my MBA program is never to judge and always be curious. Question everything that you see. If you see a child on the street, why is that child on the street? Where's his parents? Is that their only way of income? And so on. So I really think that my MBA program allowed me to network with individuals to grow me as a leader, I would say, in society. And that way I can help transform other people's lives. I love it. There are two things that I actually want to say to that. Uh, The first is that I love that you said that you don't need a degree to succeed. And you and I are both, we both hold MBAs. We're both, you know, relatively more educated and so forth. But you also get a chance to look out into the world of business and see that there are really successful business owners that don't have the degree. And just like you were saying, what, for example, in in my case, what uh, education did for me is that it just provided an opportunity to learn the subject and it provided the maybe societal credibility, but I did not need, or you don't need, or the listeners don't need that credibility in most cases to continue. I mean, if you're, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say a great example of that is Mark Zuckerberg. He went to college. He dropped out of Harvard and said, I'm not going to school. And look where he is today. Yeah. Top individuals, Bill Gates didn't go to school. Well, he went to school later on, but not uh, throughout his career. But they didn't stop learning. 
They didn't, they didn't stop, stop learning. learning. There's a difference between uh, getting a degree, which, you know, I'm all for getting degrees, by the way. Um, and so we're not advocating for you not to go to school. But there is if you cannot go to school, there is a ton of free information out there. We can say that Mike Zuckerberg didn't go to school or dropped out or um, Bill Gates or whatever. But these people never stopped reading, never stopped learning, never stopped seeking out information. And I think that's a key to successful business. For sure. Do you know Warren Buffett? Mm -hmm, Of course. Okay, So Warren Buffett has a famous quote and it says, the more you learn, the more you earn. And that to me is so powerful because as you said, Rita, a degree might just be a degree. You don't necessarily need to go to school, but the more you are learning, your whole life is a journey, but it's also a learning journey. You can learn something new from every single person that you meet. And I would like to quote Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn was a teacher of Tony Robbins, who's a motivational speaker who has transformed businesses and lives. And he said, a formal education will make you a living, but a self-education will make you a fortune. Absolutely. Think about that. For, let that resonate, you know, mm-hmm. a degree or a certificate in order for you to succeed or to excel in the life that you live. If you just interview individuals who are where you want to be, then that's it. That's learning. And you are more likely going to get to where you want to be just by interviewing these individuals. Yeah, so we hope that the, our listeners actually take note of that because I think it's really important. I think what you said is brilliant. Um, and you really do have to seek out the information. You really do have to seek out the opportunity that doesn't always present itself. You have to sometimes find these opportunities and be yeah. persistent with it. But I think also be kind with it. Be kind and find a mentor as well. I think a mentor is going to help you get to where you want to be faster than you could alone or with Mm -hmm. any degree. I love it. I love it. Okay. So the second thing I want to focus on what you were talking is you said that you went to India and you went to China and that kind of reshaped your, um, your ideas about, uh, like the health inequalities that we have. Where, did you take that passion? So you came back from India and you came back from China. I think it was the same trip, right? If I'm not wrong. Two trips. Two, two different trips. trips. Okay. Yeah. One in the uh, summer, one in the winter. <laughs> I did see pictures. Same, same program, same master's. Program. Okay. Okay. It was around the same time. Like it was around the same year or so. Sure. Yeah. Right. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It was about a year and a half in between. Okay. I remember seeing the like pictures and stuff like that within, you know, a similar time frame. But when you came back from these places, you had this longing or this idea about the inequality. What did you do after that to try to solve that problem? And how did you end up at Box for Health? Because there's a few years between them. Yes, for sure. So actually, after my master's program, I was working at a corporate job. I loved my job. I loved what I was doing. But I realized that there needs to be more to life than just working at an office all day. My passion is helping people to transform lives, to transform businesses. 
And so I left my corporate job. I started my consulting company. I did that for about seven months. And then I was recruited by a third party company. And I was supposed to be there on contract, just like any other contract job I would take. And a couple of weeks turned into a full year of working there. And it was really a company that I was very passionate about. And then soon enough, coronavirus hit and I lost my job. I was laid off. After I was laid off uh, due to the COVID virus, one of my old colleagues reached out to me and he said, hey, I need you on my team. We're looking to expand our company. I want to hire a couple people. Can you hire a couple people for me? And I said, yeah, sure. So I, I hired four individuals and about a couple weeks later, so I had just lost my job. I went through depression and my friend told me to hire a couple people. So I did. And then he said, you know what? We're going to actually restructure the company. We're going to take it from an organization called One Lebanon Health, uh, One Lebanon Incorporated to Box for Health. And we decided to do that. <laughs> and then he asked me to... Um, to become the director of operations. So we grew a company of three co-founders to now 22 individuals, all volunteers, and no one is paid. And I think that is something very valuable that we have. We have such a tremendous team and we really can't do anything without our team. That's brilliant. Like just to be able to do that within five months is insane. It's wild. Yeah, how was it for you? It is so intense. (laughs) It is very intense. I mean, just like any business, it starts off small. It starts off with an idea and with passion. And when you light that passion on fire, you now have not only a business, but you have a fire that lives within you. And you want to do anything and everything it will take to help these children, to give these Mm -hmm. children the education that they need so that they can live a better and brighter future. And it's just something that keeps me up at night. Like if I'm not doing my job, these children won't get educated. If they won't get educated, our society is doomed for the future. So that's the way I look at things. And it is very stressful. I'm not trying to turn away anyone, but it is super stressful when you have a team of only three and now you have a marketing department, you have a product department, you have a program department, you have all these different departments within a few months and you didn't have enough time to actually focus through. Yeah. To think it through. And sometimes we tell our co-founders, like I meet with them on a weekly basis and we all say the same thing. We say that, you know, it's very difficult for us to, to actually grow a company. So Julie, you were able to kind of come up with a team that uh, a team that you put together with volunteers, with um, the co-founders and to grow from three people to about 20 people, as you said, Um, is there anything that you would recommend to our listeners in terms of optimizing your team? How did you come to those 20 people? Yeah. So whenever you are recruiting a team member, we have to think about as every single individual contributor is going to be somewhere in the company and they're going to impact the company. So we hire only positive people that have a lot of energy and that are very passionate about what we are doing. They have to be self-motivators, self-starters. They have the drive to transform the lives of children. So that's what we look for in individuals. A couple of ways we try to Uh, motivate these individuals is by providing them the flexibility to work whenever they want. 
as long as the work gets done, that's all we care about. As long as we have the end goal, the end result, that's it. Uh, so we provide a very flexible schedule for our employees, our interns, whoever it might be. And pretty much they can work whenever they want. And as long as they are working on things that matter to them, that's what really motivates an individual. Like I might be, I might have a background in marketing, but I don't want to be doing marketing. I want to be doing HR things. So you allow those employees to actually create and to mold that type of career path that they want to take. Another thing that seems to be working very well with our team is providing them with a lot of gratitude and appreciation. And we really and truly appreciate every single one of our volunteers because without them, we would have nothing. We wouldn't have a company. We would still be the three co-founders. But our team is really what helps us excel and to succeed in anything that we do. Uh, make sure that your employees or interns or volunteers feel like they are the company. They are not only a part of the company, but this company is theirs. So we allow all of our staff to make the decisions. So for example, we have somebody on our marketing team creating t-shirts and we say, okay, what do you think? You like to create t-shirts. Like, what do you think? And, you know, they come back to us for revisions and for the proof and we'll approve the last proof. But for the entire process, they are creating everything from point A to point B and then till the end product. If somebody wants to work on developing a program, that's what they work on. So we really try to create a positive, energetic working environment for everyone in order for them to succeed. And another thing <laughs> is to reward your staff, to reward every single one of your employees and to value them. Not only value them with like, oh, thank you, but value them and give them something as like a token of appreciation as well. So how are you able to get people to volunteer? I mean, it's very hard, especially when the economy's down, when um, people are looking for jobs that pay. How do you get them to volunteer? They are driven by the mission and the vision that we have for the company. They are really passionate about the mission that we have. And our mission is to transform the lives of children in low to middle income countries by providing them with the tools that they need uh, and to teach them about healthy living and hygiene promotion. For a for-profit company, do you think there's a way to get people to volunteer? Like, Because there are startups that or new businesses. I, any, anytime I hear startups, really, I think of something that's in tech and I think that's the majority of people. There are people who are starting businesses that could use the help to do that, but don't have the same mission as would a, for, a non-profit. Do you have any recommendations for them? Sure. For any business, a business obviously has a mission. They have a product that they are selling. They have a service that they are selling. And you need people to align with that product and with that service. And you have to create a company culture where people want to help out, even if they're not getting paid. Now, I know with the small businesses, it's very hard to find volunteers or interns, and especially if you're just starting off. But how do you get people to actually want you promise them something and you actually promise and you fulfill that promise? So, for example, if it's a, a profitable business or you're hoping for it to become a profitable business, you tell this individual, OK, help me now. I need to get from point A to point B. If you help me, then you can get a share in the company later on or you can get this bonus when we launch or take off. If an employee is satisfied at the work that they are doing, like let's say a paid employee, right? If you are satisfied at the company and you are satisfied and happy with the job that you're doing, 
you are more likely to produce more and you will do anything it will take to have that business succeed. If you don't love your job, you're going to leave that job being all miserable at five o'clock. You're going to clock out. You're going to come in late. You're going to get sick. You're going to be depressed. You're not going to want to go into work. But if you really enjoy the work that you're doing, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, and I've worked in uh, for-profits that are profitable, and I hated my job, and I've worked in companies that I loved my job. And I will tell you that the companies where I loved my job, I would do anything it would take to get the job done and not only get it done, but get it done and excel in it and give it my 200% rather than giving it my 50% at a job that I hate. What were things that were different between, in terms of culture, uh, between jobs where you hated them and jobs that you loved them? Like distinctly, like say, okay, this is something they did differently. Sure. It comes down to management and the way they treated their employees. So for a company or managers, uh, companies that I hated my job, it was pretty much a micromanager that would sit over your shoulder, that wanted to know everything, that wouldn't give you the flexibility to work on your own schedule or to do your own thing. Uh, there was no growth. It was a very negative environment. It's a very condescending environment. It's very controlling there isn't that relationship where your boss would know the employee. It's more like, okay, you're just a number. Go get the work done. Go finish everything. So, so with with nonprofits, or it might be easier to get, like we said, it might be easier to get volunteers, and you're supposed to, you know, keep your uh, employees happy. But with that comes people's operations, right? So what do you recommend or how do you perceive people's operation? What do you recommend for people to make it better? Sure. So the first thing is to focus on your people. For Box for Health, I am the director of people operations. And what that means is that my people and our team is the foundation of the business. So what can we do to help these individuals grow in the field that they want to grow in? What can we motivate them with? And how do we get them to the next level in their career? So my, somebody might start off as, let's say, an admin with Box for Health. But how do we really motivate <laughs> So how would you motivate them to continue? So we typically would just assess them and ask them, what do you want to do? What do you feel like you should do? How can we help you get to the next opportunity? Is there anything that we can do, not only with Box for Health, but to give you more opportunities with other things. So can we connect you to other individuals? Can we give you new tools? Can we provide you with any letters of recommendation? What can we do to get you to the next level of your career? So that's something that we typically do to motivate and to empower our employees. Our employees our, or our volunteers are like our decision makers. We really encourage them not only to do the daily work that they have to do, but to be a part of the community and to be part of the organization itself. So for business owners who've, you know, maybe come from a traditional background, that sounds a little bit scary. Or for someone who doesn't know much about business and they're now starting to uh, start their own business, that sounds scary to give or to relinquish uh, freedom to, uh, to the employees or to the volunteers. What do you say to someone who comes from the traditional school of business? Sure. I would tell them that the world is changing. 
that we went from micromanagers where a manager has to be focused on every single detail, breathing over your shoulder, wanting you to be in the office, to now it's becoming a, a remote work environment where you need to give your people the flexibility. We went from a traditional nine to five to working from anywhere and everywhere all around the world at any time during the day. We went from having a processes that were set in place that were grandfathered in to allowing people to collaborate and to make new ideas and to be creative with everything that they choose to do. So just really empowering people. And I believe, Rita, going back to one of the segments, we were talking about uh, things that leaders do at a bad and toxic working environment. And then we wanted to talk about a little bit about things that good managers and good leaders do in their working environment and how we can give tips and tricks for people to actually help their employees to succeed. So I know we got kind of mm -hmm. caught up just because we're talking about so many different things. So a good leader, it's someone not only is passionate about the business and wants the business to grow, but they are willing to do the individual work that a regular employee does. So whatever this employee does, this manager is willing to do. Even if it's some a dirty job that they have to get done, a good leader will also do that. They will be in the same position as an employee. They will also, a good leader or I guess a good working environment is a place where people can come and they feel comfortable coming and sharing their thoughts and their feelings regardless what the situation is. They are energetic when they come to work. They are working at a positive working environment. Nobody wants to work at a toxic workplace, especially if you're a volunteer or even if you are getting paid. Do you really want to live your entire life being miserable at the job that you do? Or would you rather be at a place where you're positive and people are passionate around you and allowing you to grow into a career or into the next steps in your life? See, not to sound pessimistic or anything like that, but there, there is when someone's out of college and they're starting to look for a job or there's somebody's just looking for a job to get by what you're talking about that positive environment these things they seem like ideals that just don't exist well you know and i know that they exist but for that person that is thinking where can i ever find something like that what would you say I would tell them you have to search and you have to continue looking for the right opportunity. It's not every job that opens the door to you. You want to work there. You have to be very selective. I understand. I mean, I came, I went through it. I was getting right out of college. I needed to find a job. And how do you find a job? You might actually end up at a work, uh, at a place where you absolutely hate or you have a terrible manager. I mean, I worked at my first job right out of college. I hated my boss. I loved the job, but I couldn't stand my boss. It was a very toxic working environment. It was very strict, uh, very micromanaging, very condescending, very depressing, very negative. And I felt like I lost a part of myself. So what did I do? I stayed there for a couple months and then I transferred to another department because I knew if I were to stay at a job that I hated, it's going to drag me, bring me down and to ruin my life. And actually a stressful work environment can lead to your body actually uh, becoming overly stressed and burning out. And do you really want to burn out your employees? So I would tell all these managers that want to micromanage your employees, your employees spend a third of their life at a job. If you want to burn them out, 
good luck because they're going to be burnt out and you're going to have to invest way more money to come and to train someone new rather than actually treating your employee right the first time. Very true. And uh, one other thing is that they will not recommend it to other people. And you would actually get maybe negative reviews on Glassdoor. <laughs> yeah. Without I just do anything. Because I think that's that's something that I checked regularly when I was looking for a job. And I think you've probably have. And a lot of people who are uh, checking regularly or checking for a job, you'd look at the company, you'd look at what, what are people saying? Is there a high turnover rate? Are there people that are employed only there for like a minute and then they leave? Um, and uh, people don't realize how important reviews are in the digital world today. But seriously, everything. I think at one point, one of the first articles that I wrote on uh, on boutique digital marketing had this crazy statistics on uh, TripAdvisor and on Yelp at how many people actually use these people uh, these things, and they're in millions. There are millions of reviews that are getting written, and people don't actually realize that. And actually, if a customer sees that you have negative reviews, they're not going to want to work with you, even if they check Glassdoor. If they don't treat their employees right, what makes them think that they're going to treat a customer right? And that's the way a customer is going to think. They're going to say, wow, this person has very negative reviews as a working environment. I wonder what's really happening with this place. And I'm probably not going to bring my services there. Uh, so the statistics, the very true, the statistics on TripAdvisor from the Telegraph uh, was 190 million reviews written um, by the end of the second quarter of 2019. Wow. It's, yeah. So uh, sorry, that one is 192 million from Yelp. So Yelpers have written more than 192 million reviews by the end of the second quarter of 2019. And TripAdvisor had very similar number, which is 190 uh, million. That is crazy to think about. And actually, Lisa, as you were saying that, I thought about something. Um, you know, we are living in a world where it's very fast paced. Now with COVID, it might be the new normal. And it doesn't necessarily matter the number of hours we're working. What matters the most is getting the work done. So somebody could get the job done in five hours, let them get the job done in five hours and have them enjoy the flexibility of doing whatever they wanted to do, rather than doing a very slow job for eight hours, doing the same job in eight hours, you know? And another thing, when you were talking about the micromanagers or bad leaders and allowing them to lose control, one of the biggest things right now is allowing people to take unlimited vacation. A lot of companies are doing this now. And you might be thinking, oh my gosh, this is crazy. What do you mean unlimited vacation? How can a company afford unlimited vacation? But when you throw that out there, unlimited vacation, you would be surprised at how many people actually take advantage of this. And the percentage is very, very low to like either 1% or even none. Meanwhile, you know, back in the day, it used to be, oh, you have to accrue your vacation. You have to work more hours to get more vacation. That's not the, that's not what's happening nowadays. I love it. It's like, you know, when you're driving and you're trying to like cut in front of someone and they're being ridiculous, they're not letting you in. But when you stop and ask, they're like more than happy to, to let you in. Exactly. You know, I, I feel that that's the same way when you say tell people, hey, you know, I'm giving you the responsibility of choosing your vacation hours and choosing your vacation uh, uh, dates. People are like, 
oh, okay, because of your generosity towards me, I too will be generous back to you. It's kindness. It is kindness for sure. And another thing, if, if people end up going back into the office, is providing your employees with healthy snacks, healthy beverages, you know, maybe like once a month go for a lunch or something like that, depending on your budget. And you would be surprised how much, let's say $100 here and there, can actually make you later on. Because if you take care of your employees first, they are going to be taking care of you and your customer. And your customer is, of course, the priority. And I, I think you can, uh, you know, calculate that into the cost per customer or the retention rate per, per customer so that you can you can develop your your company and be more profitable. Definitely. And make sure that if you do have, let's say, a bad apple or, you know, a bad employee, somebody who's underperforming or someone who's toxic and negative, make sure you get rid of them immediately. Even though you might be afraid of losing that person and they are a high performer, that person's energy is going to translate mm. to the other individual's energies and it's going to bring your entire organization down. And you really want to have an upbeat company. By bad performer, we don't, we're not talking about the work itself because the work itself, you can train them to be better. You can do more things. But uh, I believe you're talking about attitude, Sakura. I am talking about attitude. You know, you don't train a person based on the experience that they have because you can train them to work a job. But you can't train somebody or retrain them to have a better personality. If somebody's always optimistic about life and about work in general, you can't retrain them to be optimistic. Or if you do, it's going to take a lot of energy on your head, on your part. I love it. So, Julie, we've come to the end of our episode. I loved having you on. It was fabulous. Is there anything uh, that you say at the end of this uh, that you want to leave people with? Yeah. Follow your hearts. Follow your dream. Don't take a no as a no. Keep If you want to go and pursue something, continue chasing that. And always remember that every single thing that happens, happens for the best reason possible. Mm-hmm. One door closes, a better one will open. And this is always true. And your thoughts become things and your things in your life become your reality. So have that positive, energetic vibe and your life will be. You'll get there. Yes. Thank you so much, Rita. It was great having you and speaking to you again. Thank you for having me. Likewise. Thank you for being here. Is there a social media where they can find you on maybe the Box for Health, maybe Leaders Beyond Cedars? Yes, they can follow us at boxforhealth.org. Or we also have an Instagram and Facebook page at Box for Health. Beautiful. If you guys want to find me, you can connect with me personally on uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the word with Rita. Uh, You can also, if you want to find connect with me on a business level, you can do that at info at boutique digital marketing dot com, or you can visit our website at boutique digital marketing dot com. You could also give us a call at nine zero nine three 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 five one one six. You could also connect with us on social media, Facebook. Instagram uh, at Boutique Digital Marketing. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll be with you next week. Bye for now.